Uh, Professor Alex Bennett uh, is um, very well known for his 2015 book, uh, Kendo, The Culture of the Sword. And I'm talking to him now. Alex, good morning. Nice to meet you. How are you doing? Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Don't envy your class being up so early, but anyway, <laughs> very much. Sorry, yeah. So, so you're in Japan, you're teaching online. Um, you know, how is, how is the, how is the pandemic affecting, uh, well, your, your university work and, uh, and your training and your teaching in martial arts? Um, well, university work, uh, is all online at the moment and will be for the remainder of the, uh, what they call the spring semester over here. Um, and well, in the, <laughs> The pandemic in Japan is a little bit of a, an enigma, if you like, because there's not an awful lot of, um, well, sense of uh, doom or, or, or danger, to be perfectly honest. Everybody seems to be pretty much carrying on as normal. Okay. Um, okay. There have been, well, the, the government's been putting out sort of, you know, alert levels and so on and so forth, but, uh, and people are encouraged to work from home, like we are uh, at university, but... Um, it's nowhere near lockdown like they've just come out of a New Zealand and what they're going through in the UK. Mm. Um, training is a non-event, unfortunately, um, especially, I mean, my main martial art is Kendo and that's just, it's a made corona when you're in a close space. Uh, so training has been uh, off. It's been, um, that training is not to be conducted and I've just received a notification today from the All Japan Kendo Federation saying that uh, training in Japan will be uh, resume June the 10th but yeah but they are going to be requiring uh, I can just show you actually that we wear Face mask like face mask like that. Yeah, this is actually a tenagui, but uh, we're going to make masks to stop the spit from es escaping from the mask. And that is, of course, with a kendo mask on as well. And we're heading into the hottest time of the year in Japan, so it's going to be hell on earth, if not a little bit dangerous. Um, so I'm not quite sure how that's going to pan out, but uh, in spite of the fact we haven't been able to do training as we normally do at the dojo, um, in my case at the, at the university dojo, um, been doing online trainings uh, thanks to Zoom, and uh, that's been actually quite interesting. I've never, obviously, not nobody's ever really sort of done anything in terms of training online before. But there are, I mean, obviously it has its limitations, but there's also many things that, um, well, benefits to it as well. Like uh, every day uh, I've been doing it, we've had about 30 or 40 people from around the world. Um, people that probably would never have met before if it wasn't for this. And um, yeah. and it's a good opportunity just to sort of reassess your kendo or, or your martial art from a completely different perspective. So, you know, you've got to look for the silver linings and it's, it's not ideal, but it's still, you know, there's ways around it. So that's what I've been doing for the last couple of months anyway. So you have been training in kendo forever i mean the the the, the preface of your of your uh 
Kendo, The Culture of the Sword, the 2015 book, describes your introduction to it. So you went on an exchange from New Zealand to, to Japan and you did, was Kendo compulsory and, and you just kind of were thrown into it or was it an option? And, and how old were you when, you when you first encountered that Japanese teaching of Kendo? Yeah, right. Well, I, I came over to Japan for the first time when I was 17 and I went to a high school in Chiba Prefecture, which is just out of Tokyo. And I'd always been a, um, a soccer player, actually. And uh, coming from New Zealand, people think I must play rugby, but I'm, I'm actually way too small compared <laughs> to the monsters that played over there. And uh, so I played um, uh, soccer. Uh, from the age of seven through to 17, I came over to Japan intending to continue with soccer as well. I know you don't call it soccer in the UK, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, when I got to Japan, I, I discovered to my shock and horror that uh, Japanese school grounds don't have a lot of grass. It's just, it's like the Gobi Desert out there, you know, and, and it's like they're playing all their sports, baseball and soccer and rugby and all that on, on, on this, uh, basically a gravel pitch. Mm. And I thought, wow, you know, that's uh, probably not the best environment for, for continuing with soccer. And, and it was at that point that my homestay mother, uh, she suggested that, you know, being in Japan, why don't you do something Japanese, which was, um, you know, pretty good advice. And yeah. at the time, this is the, you know, the mid 1980s, I think, what was it uh, the Karate Kid? And movies like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, of course, karate was. You know, it, uh, if if they had karate at my high school, I'm pretty sure I would have uh, joined the karate club. But karate is actually, um, well, compared to the other budo like kendo, it's actually pretty much a minority budo in Japan. And so there was no karate club. There was just a kendo club and a judo club. And uh, the judo club didn't look so interesting. There weren't many students or <clears throat> um, pupils in that, in that club but the kendo club was buzzing mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of people and it's the first time I'd ever, I'd ever seen kendo I had no idea what the hell they're doing it looked like something straight out of Star Wars and <laughs> it looked pretty violent and scary and um, fascinating at the same time uh, so I figured I'd give it a go and uh, it's a bit like Hotel California once you check in um, you can't check out again and uh, so I, I joined the club with the intention of just giving it a go and seeing what it's yeah. like but that was not how it was perceived by the person in charge yeah. and uh, once I stepped foot in the dojo that was it I was there seven days a week uh, for the whole year whether I liked it or not and to be perfectly honest I didn't like it very much at first it took about six six months before I really started to get you know, uh, a basic understanding of what it was all about. It was uh, until that time. It was just, it was just hard work, yeah. and scary. Okay, and then so ultimately, it, it's kind of taken over your life, hasn't it? I mean, you, you, your degrees and your your you 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 work in kendo institutions in Japan, and you've written academic monographs about the history and development and ideologies and politics of it all. Uh, was that uh, did you ever have any other options? I mean, what was the, how come it, it became so all consuming? Did, did, is it something you planned? You're like, I'm doing this and it's intellectually and I'm doing it with my body and my brain and my, or, or, or how, what was, how did it unfold in that way? Um, was it planned? Yes and no. Um, it's like, you know, when you're in academia like yourself, Paul, it's like um, you just sort of end up 
going down that that route and you end up with, uh, you know the qualifications there's not much else you can do <laughs> you're sort of once you're in academia um but where i guess where it started was um after doing kendo for a year in japanese high school i went back to new zealand and uh kind of relieved in a way i mean a year in japan as a high school student was a blast but mm. uh, it was also hard yakka and compared to now i mean japan's become a lot more internationalized and globalized compared to those days mm. um you know it was a bit of a lonely existence and in kendo the training was just um it was just incredibly rigorous mm. and it just it consumed me um and once i got out of that environment and got back to New Zealand it's was, it was like a I felt you know um, liberated yeah uh, and at the time how old was I, I was I was 18 and I, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do now that my exchange had finished it's like well do I go to university like uh, my friends but I don't particularly have anything I want to study at university why don't I get a job but yeah, yeah. Not quite sure what to do about it. And um, I ended up uh, uh, working on a building site and saving my money because I wanted to get back to Japan. After, you know, once I got back and settled down again, I started missing it. And once you're bitten by the bug, you know, yeah. I, I figured, oh, I'll, I'll get back to Japan. I started missing Kendo, um, which I didn't think I would, to be honest. You know, I trained my guts out for a whole year and got sure done, and that was good enough. I got my little souvenir, and uh, that's a chapter of my life. Been there, done that, crossed it off. But I started getting getting jittery, and um, started getting the shakes. You know, the sort of kendo withdrawal. Mm. And so I decided to check if there was a kendo club in Christchurch, where I come from, in New Zealand, and. Uh, there was a, a martial arts equipment store uh, run run by a guy called Graham uh, Spinks, who's uh, a former New Zealand judo representative. And I went into his shop and I said, well, I've just come back from Japan a few months ago and I want to do kendo if it's, uh, if it's in Christchurch. Do you know of any clubs? And he said, well, no. Um, but I get a lot of people coming in here asking right. about the, and uh, of course from his perspective if a kendo club gets started up then he gets to sell kendo equipment which yeah. is good for him yeah. and so he gave me a few phone numbers of people who've been in and left their name and i rang them up and uh, we got together and we started a kendo club mm-hmm. uh, at the tender age of 18 not knowing at all what i should be doing mm-hmm. other than just putting the gear on and beating the crap out of people with a bamboo stick which is <laughs> not exactly budo right and it was interesting. I got uh, it, as word got around uh, the Christchurch martial arts community, you got a lot of people coming in to watch what we were doing. Mm. And, I mean, uh, karate and judo quite big in Christchurch, as are the uh, well, are the Chinese martial arts and taekwondo and so on. Mm. But uh, everybody sort of had this, you know, keen interest in what kendo was all about. I mean, it's of all the martial arts, it's, it's quite distinctive isn't it you know people screaming and yelling and hitting each other uh with with sticks you know the the supposed to represent the the katana so it's sort of like you can see and feel that connection with samurai culture and bushido and all the rest of it and it started getting a lot of people coming in showing interest and they wanted to start and then they started asking me uh all sorts of rather 
inconvenient questions about uh, Kendo's relationship to Bushido and the Hagakure, mm. so on and so forth, which I had absolutely no idea about. Um, never even heard of these books and things they're talking about. And, uh, and this rather elusive spirit of Budo, which I'd heard for the first time when I got back to New Zealand. <laughs> and for most of the people who were coming into the club were older than I was, you know, in their 20s, 30s, and many of them were uh, experienced martial artists in a completely different discipline. So they were a lot smarter about the whole thing than I was. All I knew was uh, how to instruct very basic techniques, you know, after a year of having my ass kicked in Japan. And and, and people were st around me were starting to get quite serious. And it's like, wow, I sort of better sort of uh, play the part here. I better play the role. I better act like a sensei should <laughs> somehow. So I started doing a little bit of reading myself. Uh, like, for example, Yoshikawa Eiji's novel, um, Miyamoto Musashi, mm. and Nitobe Inazo's book, uh, Bushido, The Soul of Japan, and Hagakure, and, you know, the, the few uh, books that were sort of available in English that had anything, at, at the time, that had anything really to do with the martial arts. Of course, there was Draeger books and stuff, which I managed to pick up, but mm -hmm. there wasn't much there. And um, the more I sort of read these books, and uh, the more I thought, wow, there's so much more to this than I thought there was when I was sort of sweating it out in Japan mm -hmm. um, yeah. sort of gave me a, a different perspective and, and seeing all these people who are so serious about it um, that's what sort of well sort of I thought well what am I going to do well I might as well go back to Japan and do this properly yeah instead of just scratching the surface like I did as a you know um, as a high school kid so I went back to Japan with the sole purpose of studying kendo and I ended up uh, for a short time studying at the International Budo University, which was relatively new, uh, new at the time. Uh, and I was there on a working holiday visa, uh, which only lasts for one year. And by the time one year was almost up, it's like, no, I don't want to go home. I want to do more um, because I was really starting to find my rhythm and starting to actually make sense of the uh, all these philosophical aspects of Budo that people were talking about. My Japanese language ability was was getting a lot better as well, which, which helped with that. So I was able to access all of these amazing senseis and talk with them. And, and uh, uh, it, was, it was quite a, uh, for me, quite an incredible growth period. And I didn't want to leave it. Mm -hmm. But uh, I hadn't graduated from university. So getting a work visa is very difficult in Japan, still is, was back then. Um, but just at that time, the All Japan Naginata Federation um, was uh, about to start the International Naginata Federation. And they were looking for somebody who could speak Japanese, uh, who could read and write uh, Japanese and English, mm -hmm. and who would be prepared to work for basically nothing. <laughs> yeah, so my hand went straight up, of course, and uh, they sponsored my visa, uh, which was great. I ended up living next to the All Japan Naginata Federation office, and there's a dojo called the Shubukan, mm -hmm. where they teach uh, at a very high level Kendo, Naginata, and Iaido. Mm -hmm. So I lived there, I worked there, and I trained there. It was like heaven for mm -hmm. me. 
And uh, through working for the Naginata Federation, my job was to uh, translate um, instructional documents on Naginata and, and liaise with the, the various groups around the world so they could all come together in Tokyo a year later mm-hmm. and start officially the International Naginata Federation. Mm-hmm. And so um, this was the first time I'd really worked with my Japanese language and translation, uh, you know, compared to now, and it's, it's especially with all the tools at your disposal, um, it's a lot, you know, tuck stuff through Google Soft these days and then just uh, Google Translate, isn't it? And then, and then just tidy it up. In those days, it was, it was, it was hard yakker and, and uh, it, um, it was very analog. But it was through that and, and translating stuff on, you know, uh, sort of manuals and so forth on Naginata and the history of Naginata, which obviously includes the history of Japan. Um, I started to get an interest in Japanese history in general mm-hmm. uh, with a focus on, on samurai culture. And that was when I sort of discovered uh, what I wanted to study if I went back to New Zealand to go to university and which I did uh, after the International Naginata Federation was done and dusted I went back to New Zealand um, and to Canterbury University where I specialised in Japanese language mm-hmm. uh, and also Asian and uh, Asian culture but with, with a, um, a focus on Japanese culture mm-hmm. so it sort of started from there so it's thanks to working at the Naginata Federation really that um, my goals or aims in life sort of started to take form. Mm-hmm. And then uh, no, I was lucky enough to be selected for a Japanese government scholarship to come to uh, Japan again. And I've stayed here ever since. I went to Kyoto University and I was at the, uh, in the history department there um, studying or researching the Koyo Gunkan, which is a, a text that was written at the end of the 16th century and put together at the beginning of the 17th century, um, which is supposedly the, the, the first document that ever uses the word Bushido, which is what sort of um, attracted me to it. And uh, yeah, pretty much one thing led to another and yeah. you get yourself in a situation where you're publishing stuff on Budo and there's only one way you can go then. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's down the route of academia. <laughs> Excellent. So. In the in your Kendo Culture of the Sword book, you it, you write about its history, and you write about the changing vocabulary and changing concepts, and its intertwinement with nationalism. Now that, that's a, it's a huge theme, isn't it? Because you've got the the nationalism, you've got militarization, you've got like Japan's profile as a superpower in the world, and then at the end, the thing that I mean, there's several things that that really, you know, you read a book and there's a lot of words in a book and several things will stick with you. And the thing I think that stuck with me most from your book is, is the kind of what you might call like the the, the dialectics of that kind of using Kendo as a cultural ambassador, kind of uh, ambassadorial kind of tool, because on the one hand, 
this, the, the, the idea was at a certain point, we're going to make kendo into a, a sport and we're going to be the best in the world. We're going to send it around the world and that keeps our status high. But then what we start to see is other countries developing really powerful teams. And it's kind of like, damn, <laughs> didn't think that would happen. It, especially with like rival countries like um, Korea. Um, and and it, it kind of throws the sort of um, national ideological kind of diplomacy into disarray. And it's like, how do you navigate this thing that we've used as a central pillar, one of the themes of Japanese identity, and then other countries start getting better at it, sometimes better than us. That's a really fascinating situation. Can you tell us a bit about that? Oh, wow, yeah. I mean, that book was like the culmination of, of years of study about um, Budo and the philosophy and the history. Um, and also uh, actual practice and frustration born of living in Japan, being a foreign uh, Budo practitioner. It has its advantages and it has its disadvantages. One of the disadvantages is that nobody actually really takes you seriously because how can you really understand the the mind or the essence of Budo unless you're Japanese? I mean, I'm putting that very simplistically. Not everybody thinks that at all, but it's a general perception that because it is so Japanese and so unique uh, that even if you get technically proficient at it, you can never really understand the heart of it because the heart of it is, is, is Japanese. And um, so I've sort of, often been dealing with that kind of, uh, I hesitate to use the word prejudice, but these preconceived sort of notions about um, being a, a non-Japanese, studying so quintessentially Japanese. Mm -hmm. um, so the other, the other point with that book is, it, well, I mean, any martial art is it's a journey, right? And um, you, you have to confront many aspects of yourself uh, and your position within that discipline yeah. and your position uh, within that within that world and um, so writing that book was in one way it was it was a when I say culmination it was trying to get all my thoughts in order because I had so much stuff floating around in my mind and so much of it was contradictory as well and the contradiction comes from one trying to research this uh, um, objectively, mm -hmm. but also being uh, so passionate about it mm -hmm. in terms of being a part of it, uh, you get your your wires crossed a lot, and you start. Um, I can't think of a good way of saying it. You 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 start drinking the Kool Aid a little bit too much about you know <laughs> the uniqueness and stuff, and it's like, hang on, hang on, hang on. I've got a. I love doing it. Um, passionate about it it's it's it is my life um really uh but i've got to be able to dissect it and analyze it from a completely different perspective as well and that's what that book was about and you know one of the uh you know this is so much i could i could talk about with with regards to your, your question but just to sort of put it in in perspective um, I've been uh, on the All Japan Kendo Federation International Committee for 
some years now, um, which is pretty cool because uh, I go in for meetings, you know, once every few months and all of the other committee members are there and they're talking about uh, the state of Kendo in the world um, as it is, you know, before the world champs or before some international seminar, et cetera, et cetera. And I just sit there listening uh, to all the goings on um, as I guess you could say the, the token for <laughs> to make the international committee look a little bit more international. It's not to say the people in it are not absolutely cool people, but it's like, yeah, this is all rather awkward, especially when, you know, the, the general consensus of Kendo's internationalization becomes very apparent uh, in these meetings and when you're dealing with all these people and it, it's kind of like what I said before. It's like, well, everybody's, you know, training really hard and we love it that, you know, our Japanese, traditional Japanese culture is uh, being savored and, and appreciated so much by people around the world and we want to help them. Yeah. But there's this allergy to the word internationalization, yeah. um, to Japanese word, um, budo no koksaika, or the internationalization of budo. Um, because that sort of means, as far as many people over here are concerned, that what is Japanese culture has been appropriated yeah. and adapted to suit whatever cultural or social sort of uh, environment, be it Korea, be it New Zealand, be it America, be it the UK. Mm -hmm. um, and the internationalization uh, which is a, a really, really popular word in Japan for pretty much everything. Mm -hmm. um, except when it comes to budo, that sort of the nuance or the, the uh, what is inferred is that their culture has been sort of, like I said, appropriate, taken away from them. Mm -hmm. uh, they're uh, the Japanese shidoken, uh, what would you call it? Um, Oh, I'm trying to think of the word. Uh, well, basically, the control is sort of like out of their hands. And they, they will look at uh, the example of judo in the Olympics and how judo has become, uh, well, these uh, are not my words, but the general consensus, again, is like far removed from the original objectives of Kano Jigoro's uh, judo and educational ideals and, and the spirit of budo. It's become sport. It's become no different to any other kind of uh, sporting endeavor. Whereas we all know that Budo is much deeper than that. <laughs> there is a spirit there that is, uh, that must remain untarnished. Um, and Kendo must never, ever go down that path. And so the word, instead of Koksaika, the, the preferred word is Kendo no Fukyu for the dissemination of Kendo. Yeah. And so who are the disseminators? Well, of course, they are the, the Japanese kendo um, uh, missionaries, if you like. Yeah. <laughs> um, and because if kendo was to suddenly become Koreanized or Americanized or uh, Kiwiized, Kiwi then it's not real kendo. Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of a, 
almost a fear, almost a paranoia that, that uh, they're beautifully pure and um, significant uh, traditional culture is going to be taken away and bastardized, mm. um, which is not true at all. Uh, in fact, I mean, you just got to look in Japan and you can see that <laughs> it runs the whole gamut, right? There's, <laughs> there's some very bastardized kendo and there's some very pure kendo. Everybody's doing it for different reasons, different age groups, so, uh, different motivations, right? So I'm thinking, I'm thinking from, from, I'm thinking back to when you said you were, so you went back to New Zealand when you were 18 and you, you, you'd done a year of kendo. And after a while, your, your class starts mm. to become real enough and, and, and firm enough that you think, oh, I, I actually need to, you said I need to step up to this role. I need to become the, the, the Japanese style, educated. I need to, it's almost like you, you take it upon yourself to become the representative of the thing. So you start to imagine or you remember Japan and go, right, proper Japanese kendo teacher is like this, knows this kind of stuff. And so, so you, on the one hand, you, you're, you started to perform in, in, not in a cynical sense, but you started to try and embody and deliver the, the, the proper Japanese style role. So, and that was, that's kind of a mixture of kind of real and fake at the same time. It's performance, but it's sincerity. And it's, so what do you feel about that? Let's say you go traveling internationally and you go into a kendo club or you, you, you know, you, you put in, in whichever manner and you see the, the kind of like Western or I don't know, African, Indian, Australian affectation or performance of, of the, the, the figure of the Japanese authority. How does that, how do you work through that and deal with that? Is it just something that you should do? You should do that. Or can you teach kendo and just be like Californian dude, you know, that kind of thing? Or what's your position on that kind of issue? Oh, absolutely. And you're right. Um, when I started out, um, it was well, not so much because I wanted to be a sensei or, you know, anything stupid like that. It was, it was more, it's like, oh God, these, these people are coming here and they're really serious about it. And mm. I've only ever just done it. I've never been really serious. Maybe I should, you know, um, uh, actually step things up a bit myself before I start sort of, uh, pontificating about stuff I have no idea about. <laughs> and I was sort of well looked after when I came back to Japan for the second time for that reason. They could see, well, I was very young at the time as well, which, which helps. And, um, uh, I spoke, you know, at the time it was, it was passable Japanese and cause I've been here so long now, it's like, it's, it's not a problem. But they were they were so willing to share uh, knowledge about Japanese kendo with me, and I was so keen to absorb everything I possibly can. And so my style of kendo, my way of thinking about kendo, um, my way of eventually my way of teaching kendo, um, was very Japanese because that's all I knew to be perfectly honest and uh, as I've sort of got uh, well older and so much more experience under my belt especially working for the International 
Kendo Federation, the International Naginata Federation, I often find myself the person in the middle who's supposed to be translating and interpreting and, and helping out. And uh, and uh, if I'm not interpreting, I'll, I'll probably be called on to teach as, as well. And because of that, I've, I've uh, had many opportunities to travel all around the world with Budor. And I've also been at the center of many big events where non-Japanese people have come to Japan for Budo mm-hmm. as well. And, and because of that, the Japanese uh, senseis and uh, federations will often um, call on me to sort of help them out. So in, in that sense, I get looked after over here. But because of all this international experience, you know, you can, you can see uh, that, and also through my own experience being a non-Japanese living in Japan so long, it's like, well, I don't, I, I finally worked it out after you know a few years living in Japan that in the early days I was trying my damnedest to be Japanese. I was trying my hardest to be Japanese. I was speaking like Japanese. I was, I was behaving like the Japanese and I was training like the Japanese and um, drinking like the Japanese. And I started getting very uh, frustrated because I could see incredible limitation to this. Okay. At the end of the day, everybody will say, wow, you're you're more Japanese than the Japanese. You're doing so well, et cetera, et cetera, as if that was a really good thing. And, yeah. and one day, my Naginata teacher said to me, and I was, I was still quite young, I think I was only about 20 at the time. And she said to me, Alex, you're, trying so hard and it's so wonderful to see a young man like yourself coming over here and embracing Japanese culture and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, uh, kudos to you. Yeah. But don't you have some good stuff in New Zealand as well? <laughs> <laughs> and what she was saying in her incredibly profound way was, um, you don't have to copy everything the Japanese do um, because there's a lot of bad stuff in Japan too. And I think she was actually telling me off because I was getting a little bit sort of like too much like a rambunctious young Japanese male or something. But not knowing what is good or not what was bad, but just, just copying that cutter, right? And so it suddenly occurred to me, well, that, that, that has always stayed with me, that lesson. And then as I lived here longer and longer, it, 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 it dawned upon me that, the whole reason I'm doing kendo and uh, and other budo is not because I want to be a Japanese. Actually, who gives a damn about you know yeah. nationality and stuff like that? I don't I don't want to be a Japanese. What what the hell? I want to be Alex Bennett. And and what kendo provides me is is, is many uh, benefits and things that I can take away um, for me as a as a human being. Mm-hmm. And so I look at the at, at budo. Uh, as having universal value and universal values mm-hmm. um, can provi- provide a framework for your own life philosophy, the lessons that you learn. Mm-hmm. Um, you can adopt them, adapt them, and make uh, you know make it meaningful for you, for yourself, mm-hmm. uh, irrespective of where you come from or where you're living. And once I started understanding that uh, and starting to look outside the Japanese dojo, as it were, 
um, started making more sense to me why uh, Budo is so popular around the world. People are doing it not because they want to be Japanese, but because there's some there's mm. there's something there. Uh, it's the essence. Once you get past all the um, the superficial, you know, uh, onion skins, as it were, and get down to the to the core, mm. find something that it, it doesn't matter whether you're Japanese or not. It, mm. As long and to that. For for that reason, I mean, I think I look at Budo as uh, as migrated from Japan, and it mm. and you, it'll find different forms in different places out of necessity mm-hmm. to be able to give of of meaning or use in that particular society or that particular culture or country, mm. and um, and I think that is an incredibly good thing because it just shows how adaptable. And and how valuable Budo is. You, you, I spent time in Iran, for example, uh, and uh, my Budo friends over there are all Muslims. Their faith is is Islam, but they're just as dedicated to their their Budo as I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not of any religious denomination. Mm. Um, yeah. And it doesn't matter where you go; it's just, it's the same. And what 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 sort of where I was going with this is uh, how do you deal with the, the sort of the international sort of variations? Well, mm. if you look at Japanese history, um, right the way through, like, like uh, as I covered in the book, you'll find that uh, Budo, although it wasn't called Budo then, has taken on so many different forms mm. over, the, yeah. over the centuries uh, to suit the, the times and to suit the needs and to suit the group of people who are doing it, be it samurai or be it kids in the school system as it is now. And so Budo in Japan, they think um, many people think, you know, non-Japanese and Japanese people like that because it's traditional. It's always been like this, like hell it has. It's always been changing and adapting and whether it's changing and adapting to suit, uh, you know, a community in the United States or some little, village in Japan at, at, at some period, you know, a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, there's no different. Yeah. And that's, I think. So I look past that now and writing that book is something that that was precisely the reason why, um, why for me it was, it was almost therapeutic to write it. I was just getting all of these thoughts and, and finally getting out of that, uh, that very rigid mindset that, Japanese Buddha must be this way. Um, if anything, that sort of defeats the whole purpose of it. Yeah, I was. I've done a lot of um, research recently into uh, the way that martial arts, or the way that Asian martial arts, are um, depicted in in Western popular culture. And I spent a lot of time looking at martial arts in in music videos. And what you find, what I put it in very simple terms, what you find is uh, when it comes to black culture, like black genres, like hip hop and rap. Um, it's so important to them. And then you, so you dig a little deeper and you read what these artists are saying about it through all the way through the, the 70s, 80s and 90s and still today. And, and more than one, um, you know, um, black um, hip hop or rap artist has said that they think that the ideologies that you get from, from Japanese martial culture um, they have had a deeper impact in 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 black culture, black popular culture, because these are often cultures of, that are that are culturally devastated that that, that become through through unemployment and and poverty and so on. And that so it's not just a bit of fun that you see in the movies or that you, but it's actually like a source of values 
And so I think that kind of chimes with, with, with what you're saying. It's like you, you can just find a structure and a set of values that you can, that you can use to kind of live through and, and grow within and become better than you could otherwise have been. So I completely, I mean, not, not that I've been anywhere close to your lifestyle, but uh, it, it speaks to me. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I think, I mean, something that resonated with me when I went to Iran, uh, that was in 2004. I spent about six months there and I was over there on a, a Minister of Education research grant um, from Japan and, and uh, I, I was looking at the state of Japanese studies in, in Iranian universities mm -hmm. and also yeah. uh, uh, the, the state and condition of, of martial arts in Iran, how popular they were. And I, I, was, I was blown away to discover that in terms of the number of people who participate in the martial arts, um, second only to soccer. Uh, to the extent that in the Iranian um, Ministry of Education, they have a sports department, they have a martial arts section, which administers the national sort of martial arts bodies. Yeah. And um, I was sort of lucky uh, through my contacts over there, I was allowed to take um, uh, or um, do some questionnaires and ask uh, about the local Iranian Budor practitioners what it is that they're seeking in doing Budo, are they doing it for self-defense? They're doing it as a, as a sport. Are they doing it for, you know, spiritual reasons, health reasons? You know, obviously there's a lot of overlap. Um, and the real question that I wanted to, you know, um, ask them was, you know, being, uh, Muslims, um, and being uh, very faithful to Islam in Japan, the martial well, Budo is, is, is promoted as a way of, uh, well, a ningen kese no michi, a way of, uh, what do you call it, um, self-perfection, mm -hmm. character mm -hmm. development, mm -hmm. and also a way of, uh, of honing, refining your morality, mm -hmm. and which is always a, mm -hmm. a bit of a touchy subject, subject right? But it's, uh, it's one that interests me, especially when you, when you go to a, a country uh, like Iran, for example, where Islam is, is so important. And I, I wanted to know if there was any kind of conflict, friction perhaps, between the teachings of Budo and anything in Islam. Mm -hmm. And the resounding response that I got was, no, hell no. Um, if anything, by practicing Budo, uh, we become better Muslims. And we are able to uh, serve as a servant to to God um, through what we learn in Buddha. We become stronger in mind and stronger in body. And one one of the respondents replied that Buddha uh, to him is like uh, uh, what did he call it? Um, a spiritual supplement. His his vitamins. <laughs> Well, can you for a second, mate? I've just got a delivery. It's just come to the door. I'm just going to nip over to the door. Be back in two seconds. Right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So um, Alex has got a delivery. Uh, members of my household are waking up. The dogs moving around. The sun shining on the screen. <laughs> Life during lockdown. So let's have a look at. Oh, we can't look at that. You can just... No, I can't stop. 
Sorry, mate. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's all right. It's life, life <laughs> under lockdown, isn't it? You can't yeah, yeah. sit in offices, um, yeah, with uh, staff like you know protecting us from from disturbance. We're not in studios, are we? <laughs> oh, oh no, <laughs> we're at home. <laughs> Very much. Yeah. So that uh, I guess where I was going with that is like it doesn't matter where you are or you know what uh, faith you have. Buddha seems to be able to fit in. Yeah, and. So that, for that reason, it's so much more, well, internationally sort of uh, popularized, disseminated than even Japanese people realize. Yeah. They have no idea how, how incredibly popular. You can go anywhere in the world, some little, you know, Hicksville village in Iran, for example, or somewhere, you'll find a dojo of some yeah. sort there. And you'll find the locals in there dressed up in their doggy and mm. doing their exercises, shouting ichne, sanshi, or you know, if, if it's Japanese but all. Um, it has given or uh, opened people's eyes and imaginations to Japanese culture and Japan as a, as a country mm -hmm. more than anybody over here realizes. Mm -hmm. um, it's often a, a great source of surprise and uh, incredulation when they realize, well, why, why are all these foreigners, as in from a Japanese perspective, so keen on doing budo? And it, uh, if anything, it, it serves as a kind of, um, uh, uh, in some cases, a bit of a slap in the face going, wow, um, does everybody think it's that great? Gee, we better start thinking about doing it properly ourselves <laughs> for that, <laughs> that same reason that it made me end up going to Japan for the second time. It's like, hell, if I'm going to be teaching Buddha, I better learn how to do it properly. And, and so uh, the, the incredible success of Buddha's international spread is, um, if anything, I mean, it, it sometimes is a cause of friction, especially when, you know, uh, Japanese are not successful in, in yeah. the competitive yeah. arena anymore. But it's also, uh, it is also actually at the same time a, a source of great pride as well. Yeah. And there you have the kind of the cultural nationalism and the, the feeling that you don't want to let it go because, you know, this was ours originally and we sort of, uh, you know, we should be in the position to take the lead on how it spread. So you get all these conflicting emotions over here with the, with the spread of Budo. And it, I must also say it depends on the Budo. Like Judo has been around since uh, internationally since Judo was created almost, you know, from the late 19th century and... Kendo has to an extent too, um, if you go to, uh, you know, places where uh, Japanese immigrants are numerous, like uh, North America, uh, Korea, um, for example. Um, so the, the history of the modern arts is not actually that much older in Japan than it is in other places, yeah. uh, which is another point that's often forgotten. Yes. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's really fascinating. As you're talking... I mean, I really love the term that you used, the, the a spiritual supplement. So this was, this was practitioners in Iran saying it's like a spirit. It's almost like um, that's going to be the title of the next thing that I write, I think. I'm going to steal that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having that. I'm having that. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been, I mean, it's, it's, it's fantastic talking to you, but I know that you're busy and my household is waking up. My children will be up soon. My, my chihuahua is up. Uh, where is he? Hey. Some attention. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I think um, much as I would love to keep talking, I'm, I'm going to have to sign off and say, um, 
Professor Alex Bennett, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. It's a great pleasure and uh, let's keep in touch. I'd like to uh, uh, talk more and maybe we should, uh, like, I tried to get you over to Japan that time a couple of years ago, which would have been great, but let's work on it again in the future. Definitely. Thank you so much.